Um, today we're in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 19, Kingdom Marriage is the title. Um, I was a single man until the age of 35. This was me until uh, very recently. <laughs> Do the... <laughs> Bachelor pastor edition, that'd be a hoot. Uh, my bachelor life is well documented in some of my old sermons online. Should probably go back and edit, maybe even delete some of those. Uh, but there are some things that I loved about being single. Um, I, I, I could come home from work and just do whatever I want, right? I could eat punch bowls of cereal watching basketball until midnight. It was fantastic. I could do dishes like once a month, <laughs> take out the trash like once a year. I didn't never have to bathe. It was amazing. I don't, I don't know why I was single for so long. Um, but there are also some really hard things about being single. Uh, you know, everybody and their brother wanted to set you up, right? They all had this lovely granddaughter or niece that you just had to meet, right? And, and, and also just the, the feeling of um, loneliness that I had at times. You know, I, I had my family in town. I had a great church community, fortunate um, to have that. But I tell you, there were times when I longed for a family of my own, for that kind of companionship, for an adventure buddy. I longed for that. And then I met Jill, uh, and she met me. Uh, she saw my enormous muscles and then said yes, that she would marry me. And so that was really, really cool. And here's a picture of us on our uh, wedding day. I, was, I couldn't believe she said yes. And judging from her picture, neither can she. <laughs> what, have I, what have I done? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, and, and, you know, there are some things um, that are, I, you know, you can have this illusion that, you know, the movies would tell you you live happily ever after, right? All your problems are going to finally be solved, right? No, I, there are some things I love about being married. Uh, being married to your best friend is just like this constant sleepover. You can do hike, you can, we, we love hiking together, we love reading and playing games together, um, to be able to do ministry together, to have someone to encourage, to keep accountable, to do life together. She is a beautiful gift from my God, but there are also some really hard things about being married. It turns out the default factory setting on Justin is not dialed to put someone else's needs before yours, right? And I'm slowly learning how selfish I am, and, and I'm not able to just come home and eat punch bowls of cereal and watch basketball every night anymore. I gotta do the dishes a lot more often. I gotta bathe once in a while, right? It's hard. Life is hard. Um, but I, and I can also see that sin left unchecked in my heart could lead me down a path of teeny tiny baby steps that would lead me toward discontent, hard-heartedness, and even unfaithfulness toward my wife. And this morning, Jesus has a word for both the married and the single in the room, so that'll cover everybody. And he wants to encourage us that, listen, whatever season of life you currently find yourself in, we can trust where our God has us, and where we are find Jesus's healing sustaining sufficient power to find joyful contentment right now right here and to flourish where God has planted us so in our Bibles Matthew 19 we're gonna be in the ESV three points we want to make today the first one we want to see God's intent for faithful hearted marriage there's some blanks if you want to follow along in your sermon notes in the bulletin there's some crayons in the back if you need to um, fill in those blanks um, starting in verse 3 we're gonna see the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him a question about divorce now um, this conversation is going to primarily be around divorce and remarriage. And some of you guys are like, really, Justin? Two weeks ago, we talked on church discipline, and now you're talking on divorce? Like, what is next week? Are we going to do a sweep of the Holocaust? Like, why all the hard topics? And I think I'm blaming Ross. 
okay? This family pastor, uh, I think he's pulling the subjects. And like, cause when I was on my anniversary trip uh, at the beginning of June, he got to preach on, let the little children come to me, right? And then I get these two topics. So I might fire our family pastor, we'll see. But the, one of the reasons that we preach verse by verse, we just go through a book of the Bible at a time, one of the reasons that we do that is because if scripture is not silent on something, then neither should we be. We know, Paul told Timothy, all scripture is useful, even necessary for our own training and teaching and correcting. And, and the reality is, the, the scripture for today, if we're not dealing with real issues where real people really are, and we really can hear a real God's real words of truth for real healing, then what are we doing here? We're just playing games. And so we're going to see today Jesus' words apply to every person in this room today, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're remarried, whether you're widowed. But I also know in a room this size, man, this is a painful topic. And for many reasons, as many reasons as there are people, each situation is unique. So we're going to speak with grace, kindness, and humility, and find Jesus' healing touch sufficient and present with us today for everyone. Amen. So verse 3, why does this topic even come up? Well, the Pharisees ask Jesus this question. They come up to him and says they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now notice it says, why? To test him. They're not here curious. They're not coming to learn from Jesus. They're trying to trap him, catch him, trip him up. Now, this was a hot topic at the time. And no, I don't mean the clothing store where I clearly dress. Um, we're talking about... Israel's teachers at the time, they called them rabbis, they had literally had two schools of thought when it came to the subject of divorce. There was the school of Rabbi Shammai, and Shammai, uh, he taught that a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her. It was a very narrow definition of his grounds for divorce. It was only if there was sexual unfaithfulness in the relationship, whereas the school of another rabbi by the name of Hillel he said it was much broader. He, he taught that even if she spoiled a dish for him, even if he found another fairer than she, pretty much any reason you wanted, you didn't like her cooking, you saw somebody else that was prettier, you were just ready to move on, you could divorce your wife and be in step with the Lord. And as you can imagine, many people, they, they liked Hillel's teaching, right? So they could divorce whenever they wanted to. And sadly at the time, especially because it was men that could divorce, women were treated like property and discarded on a whim, treated no better than maybe their livestock at times. Now notice here, it says in, in verse 3, um, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, the, the, the Pharisees are not asking, is divorce legitimate? They, they actually all assumed that at the point, at that time. Both schools landed in that place. But the question was, are all the reasons legitimate reasons? Where would you narrow this down, Jesus? Now, remember, the Pharisees, as we've been walking through this book, they don't like Jesus. They've rejected his claims as Messiah, and ever since chapter 12, they've been trying to find a reason to discredit Jesus, even to have him killed. And so they choose this hot topic, they, 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 an issue that's widely disputed at the time. It'd be like if somebody came up to Jesus today and said, hey, what's your take on the George Floyd aftermath, Jesus? Who do you think should, should be the president this coming year? 
What's kind of your general synopsis of the pandemic situation? Israel was completely divided on this. And so they know he's going to offend somebody. And they're trying to catch him on this. Try to find a discrepancy in his interpretation of the law. But in verse 4, listen to Jesus' reply. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus' response is brilliant as God. He, he knows how to respond. It wasn't just to talk about divorce. Jesus starts by going back to creation and talking about us. Talking about creation. Talking about man and woman. Talking about marriage. You see, a proper understanding of divorce can't exist outside of a proper understanding of marriage. So yes, he says, let's talk about God's word, but let's go all the way back to the very beginning, which I've heard is a very good place to start. Um, as his disciples, we ought to note and, and take a, a note out of Jesus' playbook here. He is not just expressing opinion. He is pointing back to God's revealed will in his word. Listen, we don't have to rush to take a hot, take, a hot take on a hot topic. Hot. <laughs> let's try that again. A hot take on a hot topic. But let's slow down and ask, God, what's your heart in this? And what does your word say about this issue? Now, who created man and woman in the first place? God did. God did. So, so the creator gets to decide what something or someone is used for, right? We talk about the author has authority. In fact, who particularly made man and woman? John 1 says all things were made through him. And he's talking about Jesus. So here are the Pharisees talking to the very one that created them, created male and female, created marriage in the first place. He's probably the authoritative word on this subject. And what Jesus says is he made them male and female in the beginning. Certainly speaks to our culture's current sexual identity crisis, does it not? Jesus is very clear on how he's created us. But then he also then speaks to one of the reasons he created us that way. Verse 5, and therefore... Connecting, made him male and female, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he says God's intent in creating marriage was an inseparable bond between the man and the woman. He says they leave their mother and father, which doesn't mean just moving out, although it probably includes that. I was definitely like, see you guys. Um, I'm 34, it's time to move on. Um, but a whole new family, right? A new inseparable um, bond and, and an inseparable loyalty. It says this new relationship that you have, this is, this, is, this is the person that you show loyalty to above all other people in your life at this point. Now, have you, anybody here ever um, super glued their fingers together before? This is a safe place. Wow, okay. A lot of camp staff. We should probably fill some liability forms out. That's great. Um, or maybe you've seen Christmas Story. You've had the situation where you, you, know, you just had to lick that cold thing and see what would happen. Um, but what you find is when something is um, fused together, to pull it apart is painful, right? There's a ripping. There's a tearing. There's a damage done. And Jesus is saying God did not design this one flesh bond to be ripped back apart. One of the reasons of that because marriage isn't ultimately about marriage. Marriage is ultimately about Jesus. And Ephesians 5, it says that we are a picture of Jesus and his bride. And imagine if Jesus just looked at us and was like, well, I'll love you until I find somebody better. Until, you know, I find too much wrong with you. Until we lose the spark and I'll rip you away. 
But what we find in our Savior, what we find in our bridegroom is one who will faithfully love and serve and care for us forever. An inseparable bond. And here's the thing. Divorce distorts the picture of the gospel that marriage was intended to create. But so, for the record, does every sin. We don't make it more or less than it is. This is not unique to divorce. All sin mars the image of God. In a room this size, there are many who have been directly and indirectly affected by divorce. It's a sensitive subject. It's heartbreaking, and it causes severe pain. And many of you in this room understand all too well the ripping apart of divorce and why it isn't meant to be. And even if if it was an unhealthy relationship, it still hurts. I want to say I love you, and I'm sorry. Things are not as they should be. And that's why we needed Jesus to come, amen? To heal and restore. And he concludes in verse 6, he says, So they are no longer two, but one. Right? God brought them together. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. He couldn't be more clear. He says, not what only God intends, but what he himself fuses together, let us not pull apart. So Jesus says, I'm not taking a side in this debate among the rabbi schools. I'm going back to God's design and saying what God has brought together, we don't separate. We hold a high view of marriage and we trumpet its purpose. But we also recognize that we live in a fallen world and none of us are perfectly bearing the image of God. We are what we call broken vessels without Jesus. But here's the beautiful truth. God specializes in stepping into our broken worlds and stepping into our less than ideal worlds to make us whole. In fact, Jesus acknowledges this less than ideal world that we live in in the next exchange. Number two, God's allowance for hard-hearted divorce. God's allowance for hard-hearted divorce. Um, uh, as we're starting to get ready to go back on airplanes here, uh, I love traveling on airplanes, and I spe- specifically love traveling in the exit row. So I get a little more leg room for my lanky torso. <laughs> um, and I always, they always give you the spiel, right? Like, you know, are you prepared? I need a verbal confirmation from you that you're prepared to lead these people on an airplane exodus. And I'm just like, I'm the right man for the job, right? <laughs> Let's do this. They're like, do you get what we're saying? You, there's this exit door, and you pull the lever, and you thrust it open. And I'm like, I will pull that lever, and I will thrust, right? Like, I am I'm down. I will, I will do this. And so then, but let's say that the plane takes off, and about 20 minutes in, we're just kind of humming along, and all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, you heard the lady, it's go time. And I pull the lever, and I thrust the door out, and I'm like, let's go, let's go. And there's little kids being sucked out the plane, and I'm shoving grandma down the blow-up slide, and, and the stewardess comes, or excuse me, flight attendant, comes over and says, what are you doing? What you told me. You told me to, to pull and thrust. So I pulled, and I thrust, and she goes, no, you kook. That was only in the case of emergency. I didn't say to do it. I said what you would do if the plane was going down, right? Bizarre scenario, but you'll see where we're going with this. I would only open the emergency door if the plane was going down. Otherwise, to do so would actually cause more harm, would be deadly. In verse 7, the Pharisees, they they said to Jesus, Why then did Moses command one to give away a certificate of divorce and to send her away? To give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. The Pharisees go, aha, Jesus, we caught you. Because you just said that God in his word said that you don't divorce. But then why in the word, Moses' law, which was from God, God's word, does he command to give this certificate and to send them away? And here's Jesus' response. 
Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Jesus replies, God did not command you to divorce. He allowed you to divorce. Why? Because he knows there will be hard, disobedient hearts. God did not say, throw the exit door open whenever you like. He said, if the plane is going down, here's how you deal with it. Now, this context, there's a context here. When he talks about the certificate of divorce, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and you notice here, it keeps saying, if the man divorces the wife, did you hear that language? This was a, this was a man's world, right? This was the women called the shots, or excuse me, the men called the shots in general in a relationship that the woman didn't divorce the husband, the other way around. So in this world, when a man married, um, the woman's dad would give a dowry, which was a, a wedding present from the bride's father to the, the family. Now, what would happen is if the man charged the wife with some indecency, which at that time could be, again, pretty much for anything, he could divorce her but keep the dowry. So he gets rid of the girl, holds on to the goods. And then she could remarry, but if she remarried a second guy, he says in Deuteronomy 24, it says, let's say the second guy dies or there's an illegitimate reason for the divorce. Um, what happened was in the second marriage, the father of the bride had to give another dowry, right? The, guy, the dad's like, you're killing me, man. Um, and so if, if there was divorce in, for illegitimate reasons or the husband died, the first husband could go, aha, I got another dowry. You come on back to me. Now he gets that second dowry from, from this bride, and then he could just get rid of her again. Not to mention the shame that she experienced from being yo-yoed around. This was provision for the defenseless woman, a protection from being exploited from hard-hearted men. And in that same heart, Jesus says in verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The word sexual immorality here, I mean, it's, it's the Greek word porneia, which you can see a root word there that we know. And it meant illicit sex of many kinds. It's a sexual relation outside of the marriage covenant relationship. And just like in Deuteronomy, Jesus is protecting the one who has been cheated on or abandoned. And is saying, if your spouse, and listen, this could be man or wife, if your spouse has committed porneia, sexual immorality. They have violated the one flesh bond, the sexual union that I've fused together. And therefore, it is not a sin for the other to remarry on the other side of divorce. Why? Because you already violated the covenant. Now listen, our God hates divorce. He says that over and over again in the Bible. If you can work through the adultery... And it's painful. But if you can work through it, we do everything we can by the grace of God to maintain a restored or seek reconciliation in the relationship. And I've seen many people do it through repentance and forgiveness through Jesus. And also recognize here, this is not an exhaustive look. We are looking at a specific question and a specific answer in a specific context. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 it touches on if, if, a, if an unbeliever abandons, leaves the spouse, then you, you let them go. But what we see here is if the other spouse is unwilling to reconcile, 
If they walk away, if they're unfaithful, God says, then I will provide for you. I will protect you. And it was not wrong in his eyes to see part of that provision being to remarry if you desire. Now remember what we said. This is an exit door. You don't just pull it on a whim. There's a plane's going down. And if you're here today and you, you, you are or have been abused, cheated on, neglected, then the Bible never says just suffer well. You need to get help. You need to seek a healthy relationship and a marriage for your sake and your kids' sake. Come talk to me. We will find you help. This is also a sharp word for those who treat marriage casually, who think that they can just discard their spouse like a banana peel. That, that they maybe, oh, we're just in- incompatible, fell out of love. Uh, you know, I, they weren't the one, found somebody better. Jesus says to that person, if you divorce and remarry, make no mistake, you've committed adultery. You are in sin, except for the grounds of porneia. You have torn apart what God joined together, and you've done so in open rebellion. And that's not a place we want to be, in rebellion against our God. And there might need to be some repentance that needs to go on in this room today. But there's also grace. There's forgiveness on the other side of repentance. Because if that's you, there is grace for the one that says, I am wrong, and I need Jesus. That's the only reason any of us can stand before our God. Last point. God's heart for all kingdom citizens. God's heart for all kingdom citizens. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, if, this, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. The disciples go, whoa, Jesus. That's a high view of marriage. And, and, and if we can't just get out of there for any reason we want, then maybe it's better not to board the plane in the first place, right? We can just be bachelors to the rapture and call it a day. And surprisingly, Jesus sort of agrees. Look at what he says in verse 11. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those to whom it is given. He says, you're right. It it, it can be better to remain single, but that's not going to be for everybody. It's not going to be for everybody. But here he gives three occasions where, where it could be. And he's going to talk about um, eunuchs, and, and uh, eunuchs, to, to keep it family-friendly, just means that you're not procreating uh, for one reason or another. Uh, so there are three reasons that he gives here. The first one is those who have been so from birth, so that maybe you were born with some sort of a defect or an abnormality that would cause you to not be able to, um, to, be able to reproduce. And then the second thing he says, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Now, this is a situation, the context typically here was if you were a slave, and you were in a rich guy's house or in a royal palace, they did not want you to be able to fraternize with the queen or with the lady of the house. And so they would, you know, make sure that that couldn't happen. Uh, this is a fun topic today, isn't it? Uh, and, then, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So some have done it by choice. And it may not necessarily be that they altered anything physically, but they have set themselves apart for kingdom ministry. One of the things we see in the Jewish context is what they call the Nazarite vow. John the Baptist took one of those and abstained at least for a season um, from, from sex. Now, Jesus himself, right, was a single guy. He, 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 did not, he himself chose to refrain from that kind of relationship um, and, and from that kind of interaction with others. That's another sermon. Sometimes uh, in the church, we can unintentionally marginalize single people, whether it's how we design ministry. And, and again, I think a lot of times it's unintentional. But we want to be here today to say that Jesus says there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven, that we need married and single people alike to be the diverse beautiful body that God has intended us to be. And in verse 12, Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, to be single, to be um, sexually chaste, let, let them receive it. 
he acknowledges here, man, singleness is not for everybody. And marriage is not for everybody. In fact, he, this connects us with Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, the inspired word of God. He, he expounds what Jesus is saying here a little bit. He says in verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. He says, if you can, and not because he's saying single people are closer to God, you're not more holy, but some have a special calling where they're set apart. They're saying, I'm going to focus on making disciples for the kingdom. My interests will not be divided. But then he also says in verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Burn with passion is a very King James way of saying, if you want to get married, if that's where your heart is, then go ahead and do it. Because actually that desire, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're, you're not going to be able to focus if that's, just do it. Just, and that's good. Marriage is a good gift, as is singleness. But you might say, well, wait a second, I'm in a fourth category. But I'm single and I don't, I don't want to be. What about me? Well, I think the heart of Jesus is this, and, and we'll conclude with, with this thought. Ecclesiastes 5 says, to be able to accept your lot, in other words, the season of life, the sphere that God has placed you in, to be able to receive that lot is a gift from God. It's a gift to be able to accept it with thanksgiving. And we trust the king who has given us that lot, and we seek his kingdom as our top priority. Part of Jesus becoming a human was him entering into our space that as a fellow human, Jesus could feel our emotion, that would be able to, to understand our pain and the longings of a heart. And for the single person today, if this is you, he hears your desire for marriage. If you are a married person that is not in a healthy marriage, he hears your desire for healing and restoration. He's not callous to that. But he also wants to expose the myth that the grass is greener on the other side. This poor cow is about to find out that that's not true. And he's stuck. And what we do a lot of times is we prop up these false saviors. The Bible calls them idols. And we can be under the illusion, and if only I was married, everything would be good. If only I was married to somebody else or not married, everything would be good. And we set up a savior that will never be able to deliver. In the context of marriage and singleness, Paul calls our lot in life a gift from God, just like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. He says, I wish that all people were as I am. And if you could be dedicated to the kingdom of God, do it. It's good. But, he says, each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. Some are very content being single. Some are not. What he says is we each have our own gift. Now, some, you've heard it called the gift of singleness, and some of the single people are going, oh yeah, what a great gift. Thanks, God. You know, it's Christmas morning, and you open the box, it's from God, and it's just an empty box. And you're like, oh. Boy. That's not, what he's saying here, if you're single, you have the gift of singleness, at least right now. Some people will have that their whole lives. Some people won't. If you're married, you have the gift of singleness. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, edit that out, Ian. If you're married right now, you have the gift of marriage. You have the gift of marriage. Oh, turn down the spotlights up here. Um, if you're married, see it as a gift. If you're single, see it as a gift. And, and regardless, this is a current season. We know on the other side of glory, nobody's going to be married. 
And so what we, what we see here is that we're called to enjoy the gift that we have. But for some of us are going, how in the world? You don't know where I'm at, Justin. You don't know where I'm at. How, how do I enjoy the gift? Well, Paul tells us the secret of this contentment. The only way, Philippians 4, he addresses how I can be joyful and content in whatever season I'm in, whatever lot I have, whatever gift God has given me. And he tells us the secret. Verse 12, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, we could insert whether married or single. And what is the key? He says in verse 13, and you probably know it if you've been in church, I am able or I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Now here's the secret. Verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift. If I'm looking to the gift, marriage, singleness, circumstance, pay, salary, whatever it is, if I'm looking to the gift to satisfy me, it will disappoint me. It can't be my savior. To be content, it's not to look to the gift as your savior, but it's to look to the giver as your savior. He says in verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The gift will never satisfy you. Only the giver can. So let's land the plane here for the single, the bachelor. Singleness to you may not, actually might feel like a heavy burden. It may not at all feel like a choice. And it certainly doesn't feel like a gift sometimes. We trust the king. As someone who was a single guy until 35, I went through these seasons where I was more lonely and times when I was pretty content. But what I watched is my God provide all of my needs. And he's called us into community. And I found that in my family, in my church family. He provided in ways differently for me than, than maybe a married person. But we seek first the kingdom in whatever season we're in. You have a unique gift because your time and energy can be more fully devoted to making disciples. And I saw that. I had more margin than somebody who was married. I had evenings. I had different cracks in my, my week that were open to be able to meet with other guys, to be able to disciple, to be able to focus on kingdom work. Not saying that I always did, but it was, it was there. And by all means, if you're, if you're single and desiring marriage, Paul says, pursue marriage. Jesus says it's not for everybody. But pursue Jesus more. Sweet old lady in the church a couple years back, and she came up to me after church. She'd been praying for me to find a wife for a long time, and, and I, I didn't prompt this. She came up to me, and she takes me by the hand. She pats my arm, and she goes, it's okay. She's out there. Oh, sweet sentiment, but I wanted to say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> now, I didn't to the sweet grandma. I didn't, tell, I didn't call her Satan, but what I wanted to say was, no, you're missing it. It's not okay because someday I'll be married. First of all, it's not a promise for me. And second of all, that's not what makes it okay. No, it's okay because Jesus. It's okay because he's enough. Listen, a single person is not half a Christian. They're complete in Christ. Singleness isn't just waiting to be married. And we know, we know that being in a bad marriage is infinitely more lonely than being single. Before the married, we're also called to trust the king. See, after, oftentimes, our discontent in marriage comes because we confuse our spouse with a savior. We confuse the gift with a giver. And we're looking for something from them that they can't give us. We will be disappointed. 
Your Savior is the only one that can meet all of your needs. My God will supply your needs, not your spouse, not your circumstance. He's the one that will satisfy, not them. In fact, it's only when we receive that from him that we're free to love them and serve them and enjoy them as a gift. If I'm trying to take from them, I can't give to them. But if I am receiving from him now as I've freely received, I can freely give and enjoy. And we too, as married, seek the kingdom first. Your best gospel witness is in displaying Jesus' love for his bride through an inseparable bond. And that even includes loving them when they're not being kind, being faithful to them even when they're not being faithful. Matthew 5 said that this is a matter of the heart, right? So this is not just outward. Jesus already talked about divorce and remarriage, and he's talked about a lot of subjects, and he said, ultimately what I'm looking for is changed hearts. That's what I've come to do. So it's not just, okay, as long as we don't legally get divorced, as long as I don't physically cheat on them, then we're walking in God's way, right? No, that's an outward form. What he's looking for in, inward, we can be inwardly unfaithful to our spouse and check those two boxes. What he's looking for is that we actively pursue the heart of one fleshness. So how do we do that? How do we pursue unity, one fleshness with our spouse one of the things I've been doing this week has just been praying through that as I've been going through this text. Like, Lord, how would you have me pursue union with Jesus and Jill this week? And so three things, as I've been just kind of adjusting my expectations, my, my thoughts from myself to her, uh, three things that I've been, I've been uh, looking at every morning. Uh, one is one need to pray for her. One simple way to get my mind off myself and on her is just to say, what are her needs? Because Ephesians 5 says that you're to love your spouse as your own body. So I'm very inclined to worry about my own needs. But what's, what's a need for her that I can be praying for today? And tune my heart toward where she's at. And then one joy to thank my God for her. One joy to say, God, you have given me a good gift. And what's something I can say thank you for specifically about who Jill is and, and who she's been in my life? And then finally, one victory to praise our God for. As I'm coming alongside and knowing his promises to, I'm not her savior, he is. How can I point her to Jesus and celebrate his faithfulness in growing her, changing her, molding her into the image bearer that she has been created to be? And I can celebrate with her and before my God for the victories that we're seeing. Now, just like the disciples, we may look at all this and go, how in the world, how could anybody, why would anybody? And as always, we haven't preached the text correctly if we didn't bring it back to Jesus. See, Jesus, he's the one that walked the road to Calvary. As a single man, he knew what it was to be alone and to be focused on the mission. In fact, he's the only one who has ever come and perfectly stayed focused on the mission at hand. And I'm so glad that he did. That he experienced the loneliness and abandonment of the Father, forsaken on the cross as he bore our sin, our shame, God's wrath, he paid for and forgave me of my discontent, of my unfaithfulness. And then he rose again and became our faithful bridegroom who will never leave us nor forsake us, an inseparable bond. And even death won't ever be able to do us part, amen? And it's through this Jesus it's the Jesus that empowers me, the Jesus' heart inside of me, his life inside of me that gives me any chance, any hope of being content in the season that I'm in. 
to be faithful with what he's given me, to seek first the kingdom only in Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus has come to heal and restore. And Father, I know that it's a subject like this is hard for some people here this morning. And for some, the, the wound may be very fresh or are walking this path right now. So Father, I right now just pray for mercy in their life and grace, that they would have eyes to see that they have a perfect father and a faithful husband who loves them. Only one savior, only, only one that can satisfy, only one that can meet the needs that we have, only one that can provide and protect. And it's not a spouse, it's not a marital status, it's not a circumstance, it's in Christ alone. That you would give us the grace to trust you more. There's someone in this room today that needs to repent because the way they've been treating their spouse, that you would give them the grace to make that heart change, to move actively toward restoration. Maybe there's someone who's just in a relationship where it's kind of on the rocks or just a little cold and stale in this season, that you would awake them from their slumber and first of all, stimulate a love and a passion for Jesus. And then out of the overflow of that, to be able to love their spouse and image to the world Christ's love for the church. And Father, I pray for my single brothers and sisters, some more content than others, some battling loneliness and discouragement, that they would know that they are complete in Christ, fully accepted in Him, called into a life of purpose to flourish, make disciples, build the kingdom, that whatever status we're in today, that we can receive it as a gift from God because Jesus is enough, that through Jesus we can endure, through Jesus we can be more than conquerors, and you're in the business of reversing death in our lives of the risen Jesus, bringing healing where there's brokenness, bringing life where there was death. That's the only name that we can trust. May we put our hope in the giver and not in the gift so that we can actually be free to enjoy the gift that you've currently given us. It's only through the faithful, loving name of Jesus that we can receive and walk in these things and that we pray. Amen.